Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Bolt with your host, Dr. Jeff Tilley. Today's topic, Responsible Stewardship, Part 1. Sit back and relax and enjoy today's episode. So, the motivation for this episode came from a Daily Bolt listener who commented on a previous podcast where I was uh, talking about issues with uh, bias and alarmism in news reporting, particularly science news reporting. Uh, And she had posed the question, well, how can we be responsible stewards? Would I be willing to share uh, some things about that? And the answer is yes. And I wrote back and told her that there would be a podcast or two devoted to that topic. And this will be uh, the first part of at least a two-part series. Maybe it'll go as much as three. Uh, But without further ado... I think I'll just dive right into this first part and tackle a few topics. So, in this world where we worry about climate change and other uh, environmental issues and ecological issues, what are some ways we can be responsible stewards? And today I'm going to mostly talk about things that you can do at the home or that at least involve the home in one way or another. And we'll look at uh, some other aspects of this in uh, podcasts coming up. So many of these ideas are not going to sound earth-shattering or massively groundbreaking. And that's because they're not. They're ideas that have been around for quite a while, sometimes with different motivations, but they apply to many of the environmental problems that we have, including climate change issues. So... Uh, it's maybe a new spin on some things that many of you already know about. First of all, plastics. Plastics involve the use of fossil fuels in their production. And in fact, there are uh, compounds in most plastics which are derived from compounds in fossil fuels. And so the more plastics that are generated and used the more fossil fuel consumption. This includes things that you use every day. uh, Plastic cups, plastic straws, that big issue in California, but I'll get back to that in a bit. Uh, Plastic Tupperware, other food storage containers, plastic sandwich bags, freezer bags, trash bags, grocery bags, you name it. Plastics are everywhere. And despite the fact that a significant amount of plastic is recycled, it's not enough, particularly on a global scale. And so while I'm talking to an audience which is primarily in the United States, these concepts apply everywhere and in fact probably should be implemented to a much greater degree in the developing world than they are in the developed world, but everywhere can stand to benefit from increasing uh, the application of some of these principles. So, recycling. Recycling is something that many of us do without even thinking about it. Uh, Paper's been recycled for quite some time. Plastic soda bottles in many workplaces. Other plastics as well. Many communities, especially larger communities, have robust recycling programs. However, 
some of those programs are not as robust as they could be. There is still a lot of material that goes into a recycling bin in many communities that never gets recycled, partly because the technology that's available for recycling certain types of plastics, uh, filtering out impurities, etc., is at times very expensive, depending on the application. And so many communities, their recycling programs, they're very robust about collecting all the recyclables, but they can't recycle everything they collect. And so you still have plastics going into landfills. And so ultimately, there's less recycled material being put into plastic bottles, plastic everything, and we need more fossil fuels to make new plastics. This is, as I hinted at, a bigger problem in the developing world than the developed world. But even in the developed world, in the United States, there are lots of gaps. I live in a small community in Nevada that still does not have recycling. Uh, the residents don't want to pay for it. Uh, it's not too far from a community that has relatively robust recycling, but again, even that, the recycling is not perfect. Recycling technologies can still be improved, and there's not a whole lot of uh, energy being devoted into doing that. Uh, that's something that can be supported from a grassroots level in many communities, more advanced recycling technologies. And it's not just a fossil fuel issue in this particular case. There are lots of problems with the continued use of a lot of plastics. One, there's only so much landfill space. Two, there's a lot of dumping of plastics in the ocean. This occurs more on other continents than North America, but North America is not totally immune to it either. Uh, but there is a huge plastic uh, garbage dump that floats around the Pacific Ocean that gets photographed every now and then, and it's pretty hideous to look at. It's not good for the surface uh, marine life. It's not good for any marine life, put it that way. That's another economic uh, env and environmental dimension of uh, the plastics issue. So what else can you do? Uh, throw less away in the trash. Compost more. Some people don't like to deal with composting because, oh, it creates uh, something that attracts the bugs, it smells, blah, 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 blah. Well, it, the more you use those excuses, the more stuff you throw in the trash, the more trash bags you use. Guess what the trash bags are made of? Plastics. Those don't get recycled. They go into landfills. And to get new trash bags, you, uh, you can get some of it from recycled plastic. But again, the recycling is not perfect. You use more fossil fuels. So composting. Uh, biodegradable packaging. Use it wherever you can. That, even if it's not recyclable, if it's biodegradable, it's something that will eventually restore nutrients uh, that can be used by other growing things to the earth. It's not a perfect system, but biodegradable packaging. Uh, there's been more of this in recent years, but it's also not perfect. It's also uh, kind of scattershot, and it depends where you are. Uh, some communities, it's much more readily available. Others, it's not. Uh, the problem is that many of the product companies, especially the food companies, um, try to justify making the product more expensive because it has biodegradable or recycled packaging material in it. 
and that's mostly uh, not the case. It basically costs pretty much the same uh, to make them, Uh, but the companies feel they can uh, take that information and use it to charge more for the goods. Uh, I could go into some other marketing uh, strategies the companies use, but uh, it all sometimes ends up costing the consumer more than it should. Uh, let's talk about straws for just a second. Uh, California has made a huge deal out of this. And my suggestion is don't bother using paper straws. Just don't use straws at all. Use reusable containers for beverages. Promote that. Uh, Starbucks has done that for quite some time. Some of the other coffee companies have. A few other uh, uh, restaurant food service chains and establishments promote that as well. That is potentially one of the bigger ways you can deal with the straw issue. Because frankly, paper straws, half the time that when you try to use them, they fall apart, which means you have to use more. Or uh, they're made so stiff that they cause uh, paper cuts on your lips, which is not cool either. And that discourages people from using them. So uh, maybe the best thing is for straws to just say no altogether. Okay, let's turn to water use next. Water use is another big issue in terms of responsible stewardship. And what most people don't understand is that when they put in vegetation in an area that it's not necessarily well adapted to the climate and you have to either use tons of water or do other things to keep it going, ultimately you end up also changing your local microclimate around your house. If it's a large enough community, it can change the microclimate of the community. And basically because, for example, I'll take a perfect example in my own backyard, Reno, Nevada. Uh, There are tons of neighborhoods that use ridiculous amounts of water to have a green lawn because, oh, I want a green lawn. Well, guess what? You're in a desert. And the environment that you that you create when you use all this water, which eventually either evaporates or transpirates if it's not used by the plants, and many sprinkler systems are set up rather pathetically and waste a ton of water, um, you change the evapotranspiration locally. You raise the humidity. Uh, that uh, humidity, that moisture can be recycled into more precipitation. You change the precipitation regime of your community. And some communities uh, have seen uh, documented increases in precipitation, maybe not huge, but some, or at least in the number of days with rain as what as compared to what it used to be. So we talk about climate change. Climate change can begin at home. Uh, so that's something to think about. Xeriscaping, using the natural vegetation that's well adapted to the climate, is an excellent idea no matter where you are. Uh, just like Uh, It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to have Kentucky bluegrass in the Nevada desert. It also doesn't make sense to have a lot of desert in an extreme, desert plants in an extremely wet climate. They'll just rot and it's it's kind of a uh, useless uh, point uh, to try and do. Uh, So not only do you have these little microclimate changes, but the amount of water use 
Water is an increasingly scarce resource and will get even more increasingly scarce in the decades to come, climate change or no climate change, because of population growth. So, xeriscaping is something to think about. Renewable energy at home. Most people think about this in terms of, okay, I'll put some solar panels on the house that can generate some electricity and uh, help heat my water, maybe drive the air conditioner, and maybe if we have enough of it, we might even be able to use it to drive uh, a heating system one way or another. And that's certainly not a bad idea. However, this is not... Uh, an ideal method for many parts of the country that do not really get enough uh, solar energy to, uh, throughout the year to make it worthwhile. It's also difficult uh, and uh, bulky and expensive to have large enough batteries to store power even in areas that get a lot of solar energy. So there are some trade-offs here. Some of these areas could benefit from something that gets very little press but which exists, a home wind power system. In windy areas, you might be able to uh, make up for uh, days where you don't have a lot of solar energy if they happen to be windy days. So there are things that can be done on a very personal scale. Are they cheap? Not necessarily. Solar panels are not super cheap. They're cheaper than they used to be. Home wind power systems are not you know, a bargain basement either, but there are some where the prices have come down to a couple of thousand dollars uh, for the system, and then you pay more to get it installed. Uh, the question is, are you living in an area that this makes sense? If you're living in uh, northern Canada, probably not. Uh, not enough sun. Uh, there might be wind, but it might be accompanied by cold enough air that you probably don't get a good trade-off there. Um, other conservation measures. These have been around for a long time when we had the energy crisis in the 70s and a lot of people totally forgot about it as soon as energy got cheap again in the 80s uh, and it's been hard to get them back in the national con uh, consciousness. Uh, I'll say the first part of this as Viva la sweater. Turn your heat down. You don't have to have it 85 degrees all the time. Your body uh, can do just fine if you bring back an old-fashioned standby, a sweater, or even sweatshirts. Uh, I keep my house anywhere from 62 to 64 degrees during the winter months, and when I go away, I turn it down even more. I know people uh, that, I, well, that uh, used to live in North Dakota, that every winter it's 20 below outside and they have the thermostat up to 80. Uh, and it's not because the heating system was inefficient and couldn't get up to 80. It got up to 80. I went in their house and I felt like I was going to die from having it be so much heat because I came in all bundled up with a coat and a sweater and extra layers because it was 20 below outside. Um, get over it, folks. Uh, sweaters are good things. One doesn't have to run around naked inside all the time. Hybrid vehicles. You'll notice I'm not saying totally electric vehicles because there are some drawbacks to total electric vehicles. In particular, the fact that you have to recharge them. Where does that electricity come from? In many cases, it's still from fossil fuels. So if you're going to employ fossil fuels, perhaps you should do it on a smaller scale. Um, 
that's uh, that argument is a subject f- for another podcast. There are arguments on both sides, including the fact that there are certain types of gaseous emissions from electric vehicles, which can also contribute to greenhouse warming. Um, so there, there's trade-offs for purely electric vehicles. But even if you're using hybrid vehicles, uh, I have a hybrid vehicle. I get anywhere from maybe 25 to 30 miles per gallon around town at worst to as much as 80 miles per gallon uh, under favorable conditions on the highway. And there's a lot of sense with that uh, as probably the best possible option at the moment. Uh, Finally, uh, one last element that relates to homes but is more of a regional and national issue. We have a very updated, inefficient power grid. Very non-updated, sorry. Uh, out of date is probably a better way of putting it. Uh, let's just say it's a really crappy power grid. Uh, the infra- our power grid infrastructure sucks in this country and in many countries. Uh, it's expensive to upgrade. This is one thing that needs to be done. Uh, no matter what the energy source. Uh, we see the issues with this all over the place, uh, at whether it's brownout, rolling brownouts because of lack of capacity to the issues of having to shut down above-ground power mine infrastructure because of wildfires in California, uh, you name it. We've got issues with our power grid, but the biggest issue is that it's totally inadequate for the development of renewable energy resources. It's one of the biggest impediments that many countries, including the United States, has for widespread expansion of renewable energy sources. So that's something that could be done and dealt with at the ballot box. There's other things that can be dealt with at the ballot box as well. But seriously, uh, of all the things this country can and should invest in, it is an upgraded power grid infrastructure. Uh, we are running the, the longest podcast I've ever done so far, so I'm going to call this part to a close, and we will pick this up uh, in uh, the next podcast with part two. For the Daily Bolt, I'm Dr. Jeff Tilley. Wishing you a good night, good morning, good afternoon. God bless, and recycle some more.